Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. Corey, welcome to the show. We've been having a good, uh, a good little pre-chat here, so I pushed the record button so we can let the uh, let the audience in on you know what what I think is some early morning brilliance on on our sides. But how you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm doing very well, Tyler. It's good to be here, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. So, Corey Cleveland, you are the president of Creative Return. So, before we dive too far, let's talk a little bit about who you are, what Creative Return is all about, and then we'll get into the topic of the day, which is finance. Great, man. Yeah. So, uh, Creative Return is our, our agency where we focus on helping investor relations pros and public companies deliver really compelling digital investor experiences. And what we're doing there is in the world of, of raising capital, the world of engaging investors, especially in the public markets, it's changed to a point where the best practices of digital marketing are now influencing how investors are engaging with the company as an opportunity. Uh, problem is, is that this has just really come about in the last two or three years like really powerfully. And there's so many tools out there. There's so many aspects, so many ways to measure success uh, that a lot of uh, public companies and investor relations pros are, um, they're, they're looking to, to do it and do it the best way possible and in some ways catch up. So Creative Return focuses on creating great compelling content. We focus on what are the best uh, service providers out there to generate investor leads. And then what are the kinds of, of uh, engagement that are going to work, especially now in a COVID world where you can, you need to reach out to those investors. So that's our focus with, uh, with our agency. And what spun out of that is uh, um, our podcast, which is uh, the insider's guide to finance. And the whole point of the insider's guide to finance is to help uh, dive into the stories and, you know, sometimes the tense negotiations, the tactics, the tricks of how to properly raise capital. And uh, as we said earlier in, in kind of our pre-call, one of the things that I think is so important for companies when raising capital is that you have to recognize that when you're, you're out there raising money, it is such a small time, point of time in the, the lifespan of a business, but it is critical to to the life of the company. I mean, you could be, when you sign that term sheet, you could be signing effectively the, the death note of your company uh, and not realize it till two or three years later. So it, I think it's the, the purpose of the podcast is to dive into stories of people who have been there and done it and to uncover how to properly play chess and not be playing checkers when you're, when you're out raising capital. That's an inter- I like that. I feel I feel you may have used that one before. The chess yeah. versus checkers. <laughs> it's part of my narrative, right? Like, no, it's good, man. I love it. It was it was t- it was tight. Yeah. You didn't waver on that at, at all. Hey, curious. <laughs> something I I got to ask. Like, why did it take so long? You said in the last two to three years, like you know the digital. You know, I do love about what I do love about digital is sooner or later everybody realizes that's how do you how to connect with your your audience, your customer, your your investor, whatever term you want to use, connect with your community, whatever that is. Why do why do you think and I'm just I'm curious if you've got a perspective on this. Like you said, catching up. Why was it just that's not the way we do it and we're gonna do it the old way? What took so long for the for that that world to get on board? Well to keep within the context of the public markets as being a publicly listed company. Right. Uh, there's somewhat of a of an old guard there. There's somewhat of a um, a belief that the only investor that matters is the institutional investor. The 
the investment fund, the family office, uh, the pension, you know, how do we get that capital? Well, they're not going to look and click on an ad. And so that's a bit of the, the old world thinking. And then also who plays into that and, and is still an important role is the brokers. So, uh, investment advisors who, uh, they well until now or until as of late, you know, played a fundamental role in, in helping formulate the capital or pull together the, the investment capital to see early stage companies in Canada get off the ground. That's all changed now and we're seeing more and more power uh, put into the hands of the retail investor. Like you can go as a retail investor being, you know, anybody who's got a, you know, a few hundred bucks or a few thousand or a million bucks or whatever it may be, they can go to their Quest Trade account and start buying stock in companies. And so that change and how that's come about and how the brokerage industry has started to shy away from financing early stage companies because it's high risk has put more and more power into the retail investor. But how do you reach that retail investor because they're so distributed? You do it with digital. And so that's why it took you know, a fair bit of time and companies are just starting to wake up to the fact that, that retail can move a market. Retail can provide the volume that institutions need to buy into the stock. Uh, and the only way to engage that audience is, is you're not going to go door to door and say, hey, do you want to buy some stock? So you have to get out there and give a compelling investor experience. So just a fundamental shift, like obviously as the world changes and, and people become more empowered on an individual basis, the world, the role of the gatekeeper, I'm, I'm not yes. saying that as a positive or negative has completely shifted. Yeah. Very and, much. you know, and, the, and like everything from ordering a car to, you know, renting an apartment around the world, they've, the power digital has brought it into our hands as the individual, yes. which is interesting and somewhat scary sometimes when it talks about investing and where to put my money. And I think just sometimes having access just because you can, doesn't mean you should. I don't know if that's a fair thing to, to say sometimes. And yeah. I've, I've, uh, I, I don't know. That's not to get into the commentary on you know self self directed investing versus working with a broker. I know there's a big debate out there on fees and no fees, and I can do it myself. But what yeah. you're losing versus what you're gaining. I don't know any perspective on that of someone who kind of lives in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes I've, I've people ask me what I do, and I say I sell Las Vegas <laughs> in the sense that. You know, and I know that's kind of a, a knock on the world of, of what we do and a knock on the world of, of the early stage capital markets. But the reality is, is, is it's speculation. There's a lot of betting there. And when somebody has, uh, you know, unfettered access to their own trading account, that's no different than walking into a casino. And there's some yeah. very good professional poker players out there, but there aren't really a lot of good slots players. So... So, I mean, there's a good and bad. There's a, um, for some investors, some retail investors, they can, they can do it a hell of a lot better than their brokers can. Even if their whole portfolio is $10,000 or less, they can do it better than their brokers can. Whereas there's others where it can be a very slippery slope because it becomes a form of gambling. It's, it's, um, it's exciting, but the money will evaporate real quick if you do, uh, if you're not on it. And if you're just taking wild gambles on, on stocks you don't know about. So, um, yeah, I mean, where to go with that? It's, it's. I think the jury's out on on what's better and what's not. 
but it's uh, and and you're right. And it's hard to use blanket statements because it's an individual basis. And mm. humans, like, be honest, we think we're we like to pride ourselves sometimes of being logical, but we're emotionally driven uh, beings that have our own biases and you know the whims of the market and the whims of how we feel that day. And there's a lot of things sometimes where even just having a having a second sober, you know, a sober second voice around can make a big difference Absolutely. to just not jump yep. on our own roller coaster and not you know this isn't a podcast about the human side of investing, which I think is a whole nother. This is about the nuts and bolts of raising money. And obviously you're based in Calgary, but you made a comment offline that a lot of work that you do is actually outside of Calgary. Is that just the nature of the markets you you work in or like, you know, always curious about what Calgary, what can we do better to help us set up for the future? And someone like yourself who works on a broader scale, thoughts, observations of things you see going on globally that maybe are lessons we can learn here or just maybe not lessons, but different ways of thinking about things. Yeah. Um, primarily the clients that we work with are, are out of Vancouver. Um, Okay. Vancouver and, and down south. And I mean, ultimately our goal, especially with the dollar now, is to get more clients down south. But I'm going to draw on the podcast and some of the guests there from the world of finance and things that we could be doing better potentially as, as Calgarians, especially in the, in the time we are now. I mean, we've just gone through what was, uh, you know, I think like that double black swan event. In fact, I, I heard uh, one of your guests say that when I, when I was looking into <laughs> your podcast here. And, and um uh, between COVID and the, and the oil price war or the oil wars, if you will, we've just gotten handed, you know, we've got our asses handed to us multiple times. So how can we reflect on the things that other people are doing in other parts of the world that, that aren't um, going through this? And something that I come back to that I think is incredibly important if you're raising money, it doesn't matter what level of business you're at, whether you're just starting out or you're a publicly listed entity based in Calgary here is the best companies over communicate and the best companies over communicate to their investors, regardless of the narrative, it will adapt and change to the prevailing conditions, but you continue to compute or so you continue to commute. <laughs> you continue to communicate to your investors because that will give a level of trust that it doesn't matter what part of the world we're in. If you recognize and you can have that dialogue, um, you're better off, and and that's going to lead to better outcomes when when we get out of this economic no or no or no man's land in Calgary. Yes, I, I think I, it's funny the term over communicate. When can we stop calling it over and just call it communicating? Because I almost believe there's no such thing, especially when there's stress, or when there's unknowns, sure. or when there's variables. Because I don't know you. Hey, you and I both work in an industry where they're like it's your your it's customer service fundamentally. And if your clients or your contacts aren't hearing from you, it's not because I typically don't find they think you're off in the corner working on their work. They think you've forgotten them and you're not doing anything to value. Like, but a quick little phone call, like it sounds so simple, but I believe it gets underestimated. And in professional, like where you're working on something and your head down, the communication sometimes gets forgotten and it can really, it, it can hurt you in yeah. any level of business. So yeah. I don't, yeah. Is it over communicating or just communicating? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, um, I, I agree with you on that. for, for raising money is that, uh, it's also a long-term play in the sense, and it doesn't matter what, again, what level of business you're at. Um, nobody's going to write you a check by just walking into their office and saying, Hey, I've got this great idea. And this is, this is the progress we've made. You need to build that relationship long-term. And so, again, it comes down to, you know, going into offices and, and you know, whether they be a merchant bank here in, in Calgary or an investment fund. I mean, we have a lot of capital here and a lot of potential to, to build. And we also have a lot of interest in capital that will come outside of the city. But 
I think going in and, and consistently saying, hey, you know, these are the conditions we're facing. This is how we've adjusted. Um, I, you know, I know you're not ready to invest in me now, but I want to keep in touch with you. It's, it's a quick email. It's a, it's a phone call that even with a, a voicemail left, it's those kind of touch points that for us as Calgarians and, and Calgarian entrepreneurs to, um, to recognize that we will get out of this. And in fact, arguably, we will be in a hell of a lot better position than all the other cities in, in the rest of Canada because, I mean, the price of, of commercial real estate is going to be dirt cheap. The number of talented people we have are still here. We can, we can tap into that talent pool, but arguably at a, at a far lower rate than we're going to be paying in Vancouver or Toronto. So if you recognize that and you go forward and you say, I'm going to continue to speak to investors, even though they're gun shy now, because they know, they know nothing about where we're at the same way we don't in the, you know, even in the short run here, you'll be better off and we'll be able to get through this. And are those investors, are they, you know, because obviously you, you, you have conversations and relationships on both sides of this, of these relationships. Do they want to hear from people? Is that something where they are, because, you, you know, there's sometimes a myth like, ah, you know, I can't reach out or I don't want to bother them or, you know, they don't want to hear from me or, you know, I like just going back to even someone, you know, coming out of school, like building those relationships before you go ask for the job. Like it, is, it feels like just the same thing repeated over and over again. But I find when people are on the, on the asking side, they always feel the person on the other side maybe doesn't want to hear from them. But I've heard from the other side that that's actually not true. No, and my take is, is like, who cares? <laughs> and, and it, perfect I, answer. Perfect I, answer. I swear, like, I don't care. It's like, if, if you need to raise capital, you need to have these relationships and you might piss a few people off. But if you're tactful about it and you respect it, if, listen, if you go to somebody and you're like, listen, I need a million bucks. And they're like, we don't invest in your industry and you keep bugging them. Well, that's, you know, get over yourself. They're not- You mean, you, you, mean you still need tact and couth and, 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 and be, being respectful as a human? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, let's, let's not forget the, what, our, what we all learned in, in kindergarten, basically, right? <laughs> yes. But something I think that a lot of um, people don't realize, a lot of entrepreneurs and raising capital is that Investment funds, banks, angel investors, all of these groups, all these, these sources of capital, they need deals. They need deal flow. Because if, if an investment fund, let's say you know, a group raises $100 million to invest in a certain industry and they've got their, their parameters they'll invest in and they've got their investment thesis, if they don't have enough deal flow coming across their desk, they'll never be able to find the good deals to invest in. And effectively, they're not doing their job. And so that money gets taken away and their fund fails. So recognizing that capital sources need deals means get in front of them, present your opportunity, but do it in a way that you recognize it's going to be a long-term play and it has to fit to what they're after. You're going to have to adapt in a way to what they're investing in. Uh, but it just comes down to straight up, you have to continue to be in front of them. It's interesting when you think of like you're you're both each other's prospect in a way, and and Absolutely. not to and to and to remember it from that side. Yeah. So from when, way to put it, when you work with companies, how much you know? I'm 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 assuming the answer is a lot, but I wanted to get clarity on it because I find that I've heard from investors that like, man, these companies need to put their stories together. They need to give us a better narrative. They like it's not clear. We don't really understand the value. How much how much heavy lifting do you have when you work with companies of even helping them get the story right before they even get in? Because you're you're telling a story. You're selling you're selling a dream about a better future. And I've heard I've heard it from both sides that sometimes even in Calgary with a very technically oriented. Um, 
marketplace that sometimes the what are you doing and what's the value proposition is not clearly communicated. How much do you run into that and how critical is that in the in the in the path to raising capital? It's it's all the time. And, and I mean, yeah. it's, you know, I, I'm just going to come out and say, it. even with us, with our, our company, Creative Return, sometimes we have a difficult time nailing down our narrative and exactly what we deliver. And I mean, for God's sake, we're, we're an agency. We, we've got a great pool of talent and we know what companies need to do and, and we have the people we can bring into to execute a great program. But at times we even have a difficult time putting together our story, our narrative. I mean, it's just, it's an, it, it just, I don't know why it just seems so difficult for anybody to see the forest for the trees. So absolutely. <laughs> yeah. When, when we're working with companies, I mean, I remember I had a, an engagement and we're probably two months in a lot of money had been exchanged there. And I finally said, I'm like, what problem are you guys solving? You still haven't been able to articulate this to me. We can't, you can't have a company that's going to produce something if you're not solving a problem. And I mean, it's, they, could, they couldn't come through with that. And, and it's, so it's, it is very difficult. And, and it even gets, I mean, for media companies is an example. That even becomes a, a more difficult thing to articulate. How do you explain the problem that, uh, that somebody consuming sports media has? Sometimes it's really hard. It's not an in, in in abundantly obvious problem that they're facing. Mm-hmm. It's not an abundantly well, and and, and sometimes the customer, you know, that's the old, you know, if he would ask them, they would have said a faster horse. When you when you're if if it's an unarticulated need, that's often where the biggest opportunities lie. But they're they're the hardest to find. <laughs> yeah, and then and then package that up so yeah. mm-hmm. both the customer and the investor uh, can get behind it and say, "Hey, I get it. I understand the problem. I understand you got a very clear path to solving this." And you're going to make a lot of money doing it. Here's the check. Uh, it's it's not easy, but yes, a lot of work has to go into that, and it's uh, we face that a lot. So COVID, we've just come through it. I've had a couple different guests on that talked about what the market is like. That there's kind of been this chasm of gap of investment. You and I chatted offline. You said that you guys have been really busy over the past kind of four months. I guess, what was it like before COVID? How is COVID tr- like? Is is there capital out there? Is is money looking to move and get back into play? Like, what do you see in terms of trends? Like, what's happening? Maybe short short version of what has happened. But what do you see the next you know six to eighteen months? Uh, kind of crystal ball question. Um, because I mean, the clients we've worked with are primarily. I mean, they have the ability to work remote. They're not. Uh, they're not you know fixed asset businesses, if you will. Nothing changed for them, and so it's that just kept us going, you know, getting busier and busier. And then where, where a lot of uh, capital is now moving is into the early stage uh, gold companies. And uh, oh, interesting. Okay. We're taking, yeah, we're taking a, we're going to see a wild ride in the, the resource sector, specifically around gold and silver uh, and those commodities, because when we have these macroeconomic events happening and when you have uh, the U.S. Fed uh, doing this quantitative easing, which is you know, a fancy term for saying just printing money. <laughs> yeah, totally and, printing money. And with just, I mean, with numbers we've never, ever seen before and we can't, we can't quantify in our heads, there's a lot of uh, theory and speculation that when this happens, we could lead into wild, wild inflation. And so what's going to happen? The price of gold's going to go up because that's the, the, the safe haven for 
for anybody as a store of wealth as it has been for thousands and thousands of years. So, I mean, in and around that narrative, and because of what's happened as of late since of March or since March and COVID, you're seeing a ton of interest and a ton of money move into the the uh, early stage gold exploration space, the same way it did for cannabis. And I'm really talking, you know, talking specifically Canada and and even yep. to some degree more so Western Canada and Vancouver. Uh, but so that in itself has seen us quite busy. Uh, because well, Vancouver is has is always been a hub for kind of the mining, the, the junior mining, mining market. Is that correct? Yeah. Of it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was the, you know, there's some, there's some uh, infamous stories that come out of there and how <laughs> yeah, I've, heard, I've heard, I've heard a few, yeah. the Vancouver specials and, and, you know, I mean, those <laughs> Van, Van Groovy specials, my, my buddy used to call when he lived out there and worked in that space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it can be a wild place and a wild industry, but so that's where we're seeing a lot of interest and a lot of things happening into into that sector. Um, and I mean, that's uh, you know, go where the money is. Yeah, my my brother always said, "Go where the go where the money is," because sooner or later you'll trip over it. That was his that was his uh, <laughs> ar- that, was, that was his armchair theory he used to throw around after a few drinks, perhaps. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So you mentioned earlier, you don't do a lot of work. You're, so uh, you're based in Calgary. Is that just more of an... I'm always curious about companies that are based here as well, but also do their work abroad, which I think is a nice balance because we do have a quality of life here that is hard to match, <laughs> as you and I, as you may even alluded to with you know cost of living, housing, things like that. So when you look at Calgary companies and even, you know, you just talked about energy, but the oil and gas sector, any thoughts on, you know, what's your perspective on the road ahead for that in relation to... You know, let's forget about Calgary. Let's talk about Alberta and Calgary included. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I, so I was out in Vancouver and sitting down in a in a re- relatively cozy restaurant um, probably about six seven months ago pre COVID. So when you could actually be close to people and yep. and I'm um, having a conversation with my, one of my best buds over oil and gas and Alberta and our place in it. and and this was just after some event you know another event that. Um, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was something like a major oil and gas uh, player decided to step out of out of Alberta, said we're no longer, we're selling our assets. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me and he says, you know what? You know, that's the right thing. We need to do that. That's, you know, and, and he got a, arguably on a bit of a high horse about how oil and gas, oil and gas. Sounds like, sounds like he pulled his, his soapbox from out from under the table. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And yeah. so I ended up going on somewhat of a, uh, you, you know, a war path of, of, trying to explain to him that this isn't about Alberta from an oil and gas standpoint. This is about Canada and our place globally and having energy independence because, you know, one year, two year doesn't make a big difference, but what's 10 years from now? What is this, the impact across Canada for, for Canada losing one of its major industries? And so um, we had a big discussion around that and well, not a big discussion, more of a, uh, of a heated debate where I do feel sorry for about the people sitting next to us because um, I'm sure we ruined their date. But it, nevertheless, uh, my take on oil and gas in, in Alberta and, and for Canada is it's something we absolutely need. But on the other side, and I'm probably contradicting myself here, I'm happy to see that the roots of entrepreneurship and the roots of new industry and the roots of of creative endeavors within Alberta are starting to take hold because people are realizing those jobs aren't coming back like they used to. Yeah, that, that, that realization is settling in. I agree. And yeah, and, and I think that that's an important thing. I think it's a very painful time for all of us, right? From an economic standpoint, but if oil was good to go to a hundred bucks again tomorrow, 
I think we would all be worse off in the sense that all of those people who are now creating these really interesting companies, things like great brands, unique brands, brands that, that put color on the streets, if you will, would just evaporate. All that talent would go where the money is. And all of a sudden we're back to almost a monoculture again. So I, I'm happy to see in a, to a degree that, you know, we're, we're in this difficult position because I think in 10 years from now, it's going to bring the diversity into our economy and that it's actually going to take hold and it's going to stick. It's, uh, you know, we're going through a bit of a Detroit moment right now where Detroit was always an automaker city. That was it. And then all of a sudden that, you know, that went uh, overseas or whatever. But now you've got a really vibrant city there of all of these, these almost artistic and entrepreneurial endeavors that, uh, that I think are adding to, to the culture of that city. And, and I hope Calgary gets there. I, and I, I, I believe we will. And I think you're right. It's almost like uh, on a weird analogy when JC Kenney announced like the phase one and we're on our way back as a business owner, I almost had this overwhelming feeling of like, oh shit, I hope that like, I don't want this to happen too soon because we still have changes to make. And to your point, if oil and gas went back tomorrow, we would lose some of that positive momentum and absolutely things would pivot back. And the idea, uh, and I'm not being like, I know a lot of people have been financially impacted very negatively by this, but you're right. We need to run it out long enough to create that habit, you know, in 21 days to create a habit. It's a lot more when it comes to an economy and a city and a province of what we've always relied on. Yeah. I, know, I know. And I've had some guests on and they, it's like, they're like, this is not like what's going to happen in two or three years. It's what's going to happen in 10 to 15 to 20 years is, yeah. the real, is the real conversation. And to be honest, our political system isn't geared to think that long down the road. And most of us are, you know, like quick gratification as humans, like, you know, even back to our investor choices, thinking about a 20 year horizon of generational change. That's, that's a little bit harder to get your head wrapped around for some people. It's like, let's be honest. It really is. And I think it's, um, it's something that, for example, I was working with a company out of Australia and they were, they were getting um, somewhat courted by Samsung and Samsung's investment unit. And Samsung walked into them as a Korean company and uh, as, as somewhat of a, a philosophy um, that they asked, what's your 100-year plan? And I mean... <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean 100 years? Like, I'm dead in maybe 50 years. Like, if I'm lucky, 50, what do I care? As you know, in general, we, we as I think a Western society or as a, as a Western kind of mindset, unfortunately, we think in quarters and, and in years, where uh, in, in Asia, they're thinking, they're playing the long game. And mm. when they have that kind of kind of the, kind of the infinite the infinite versus finite kind of quote scientific yeah. kind of mindset, right? and, that's and interesting. If someone walked in and said, "What's your hundred year plan?" I think the look in my face would give it away of, of my lack of answer. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, that was you know part of their due diligence process. Tell us about so, that. That's an impressive question. I'm write that. I'm put that in my little notes of questions to ask somebody to oh, really God, yeah. to really when I want to take a swing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's it's a you that's know it's, it's almost a structural mindset issue that that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in the West, uh, to generalize, if I may, and uh, yeah, it's um, something we need to get away from, and and uh, hopefully, yeah, who knows? I don't know. That could be a whole. That is a whole other debate. Yeah, we're we're moving we're moving from like in, into philosophical kind of conversation here, which is <laughs> it's it's hard not to look at the bigger picture and think about that. Just the concept of quarterly versus a hundred year timelines and what decisions will be made. No, no, no two decisions would be made the same with those two filters. Mm-hmm. 
When you look at, and, and I know, and I appreciate that you're that maybe this isn't a market that you spend as much of your time or your work in, but when you think about some of the diversification that's happening in Calgary biotech, the technology, you know, which I'm not even going to call a, a, a sector, like the underpinning of technology, a lot of the tech startups. I had uh, Hanif Shashgani from Cement on last yeah, week. Right they up. just did their they just did their 75 million, you know, Series B, and he said, Tyler, he goes, my experience the last 10 years, only about one to two percent of the startup money that comes into this province for like things like what he was doing comes from this province. All the rest comes from external. So any thoughts on, you know, that perspective of a lot of the companies that here that are maybe on the smaller side, which are probably not on your radar, but still looking for funding and getting themselves out there. Any perspective on that? Or is that something you, are you involved with at all? Or is that not, is that not really kind of in your wheelhouse? Yeah. um, I'm not so much involved on some of the kind of the venture financing side and some of the, okay. you know, as, as for example, of what Hanif and, and his team at Cement have been able to do. Um, mm. But arguably he did it right. Um, and in fact, he joined us, I think he was uh, episode number three or four for the podcast. And we talked- Oh, nice. I, I didn't I didn't scroll back far enough. Right yeah, now. yeah. And I mean, really interesting, his takes on it. And he's got an investment banking background. And I think, yeah. you know, he takes a financing approach to this and he recognizes that, um, that these are long-term plays and that, yeah, the capital is going to come in from, uh, it's going to come in from other sources. And I mean, capital is fluid. It, it crosses borders very easily. So it's going to come from the US, it's going to come from Toronto, it's going to come from Vancouver and the funds there for that kind of money to raise 75 million for a series B, that's not just going to come from Vancouver, you need some very well healed um, and connected uh, venture capital partners to, to write those kind of checks. So, and he shares some of the same lessons, like almost verbatim what you said about, he's like, these aren't relationships that I, that I forged the week before and then raised money. Like I've been working on these relationships and engaging with these groups for years and years and years. So when yeah. it became, when it was time, the table was set, if, if, if you will. And I heard you say the same thing loud and clear. So certainly a universal truth right there. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's to me, I'm like, that's awesome. We need that. And that will, that kind of money is going to attract talent in from places like Vancouver, where you know, we're, we're getting Vancouver refugees moving to Calgary because they're like, we don't want to live in that kind of place anymore. It's too expensive. I, li- I, li- I like the word refugees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we, got beaten, we got beaten out by the house, like the house prices. Yeah, it was like compared to Vancouver to Calgary, you, could, you couldn't get a more polarizing difference in terms of you know, access to quality of life, i.e. You know, uh, yeah. housing. <laughs> yeah, housing and, and, then, I mean, and then the access to the quality of life to build a business. Uh, mm-hmm. when it comes yeah. to, to the, some of the costs there. So, yeah, so I, may, I mean, I'm very encouraged to hear things like that happening. Um, and I think that, you know, we need to sing the praises of more deals like that happening within our city. Uh, yes, I, I think that that's a universal truth from many guests I've had on was the, we don't do a strong enough job at telling our own story. We, we're, we're a little bit too much, you know, head down, ass up. And the world doesn't always get to hear about some of the amazing things that, that are actually happening here, but they get, they get overlooked for you know the latest headline. I had uh, Nicholas Pick from Helsom on, and he said, you know, I asked him what his dashboard would be to know that Calgary's moving in the right direction. He goes, when we stop reacting to every oil and gas headline, that's mm. when I know we'll be moving down the right path. I thought it was a nice, so many little insights wrapped up in that one statement. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I would love to be at that point in time for our city. It would be well because what does that you know? Therefore, what would what would that mean for that to be true? A lot of really interesting things would have had to have changed. Yeah, and doesn't and I'm not anti oil. Like I don't want that to come out at all. I believe it. It is. It's. It, it will be at the table. and It needs to be at the table. We just need other players at the table as well. The table needs a broader setting. Yeah, and and I just want to you know I'm 
I've never been in the world of oil and gas, but I think that it's very important for people to recognize, and this is what I was was almost yelling at my friend over this this dinner <laughs> that we're having, was that the talent that comes out of Calgary with our ability for uh, from oil and gas engineers to those who are working on the rig floors is world-class. And yeah. that's an export that we could be building. So it's not, you know, I mean, who wouldn't want to have absolute clean energy? Absolutely. Why not? Right. But it, we're not going to be there. So how can we still support that industry? But while also recognizing that we do need to diversify. Yes. How do you, how do you, it's this polarizing, like to be, to be for something else, we have to be against something versus yeah, like, no, no. No, I, I'm more of an inclusive mindset. And I think it's just, it's the polarizing nature of the, you know, whatever social media we follow these days on the extreme one or extreme the other. I won't even say left or right, just extremes, <laughs> you know, and that, and that I think doesn't do us any, any favors because it's, you know, you need, you need all the players off the bench kind of thing to be successful as individuals or as an, as an economic over, overlook. So you deal with different jurisdictions across Canada. Is there anything that you, you know, is Alberta, is this a good jurisdiction? Is this a good province from a, from a regulation standpoint to be able to run a business, raise money in? Is there, you know, you, de- you deal in other provinces. Is there anything on a little bit more macro slash micro perspective that we could do differently or things that are actually make Alberta more favorable to raising capital? Um, you know, I, I couldn't actually give you a really intelligent answer to that. I, I don't know. Uh, that's fair. And, and I don't have a clue. That's why I was asking. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's an interesting. I'm just, I'm always looking for what are the perspectives or nuances that we just don't run into or we don't know. And unless you're in the, the nitty gritty of yeah, a certain of world, there's things you're just not going to run into. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I'm trying to think through some things that might be applicable there, but I don't know why. And this is a, is, is a far connection to this, to your question there. But I, I, would, I would say that for raising capital in Alberta, especially for the smaller businesses, for whether, you know, for, for somebody who they're looking to build a solid business, but they're not looking for venture capital financing, or they're not looking to be a public entity and they need capital, but they need more than their friends and family can write a check for. Okay. Going after the, those in Alberta who have made it, if you will, quote unquote, they've, they've mm-hmm. made a lot of money from the, the economy that we did have, and perhaps are still making a lot of money from the economy we do have. I, I know this is a far connection or far cry from your question there, but I think approaching those people, because I would argue that there's still a mindset and and a, a willingness to fight for our province as entrepreneurs who made it in Alberta. And so mm-hmm. to reach out to them and say, I need a sizable check, they'll have. I think they will have a mindset of, I'm willing to take a bet on people that are in the entrepreneurial Alberta that they know. I appreciate it. It is certainly someone who grew up back East and, you know, obviously is very proud to call Alberta and Calgary home. There is a level of inclusivity here and a level of like, if you reach out and ask someone for help, whether that's money or advice or a sit down or an introduction, it is amazing how rarely that you hear no in this province. <laughs> yeah. like people are inc- incredibly quick to help. And I know that's a very loose qualitative you know, commentary we're having, but it makes a difference. Like when it comes down to what you just, the scenario you just portrayed, mm. the ability to reach out to somebody and just ask or you know, get connected or to get doors open for you. I find Alberta is very pro that way. There's just something small town about it here that I love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's, 
when it comes mm-hmm. to raising capital, that that is beneficial and that is huge. And especially, I mean, if you were to compare to you know different forms of capital and specifically to the public markets as an example. Mm-hmm. People in the public markets, it do, almost doesn't matter what city they're in, but I mean, specifically, or, you know, Howe Street and Bay Street are very protective of those relationships. They're not going to let you sit you down. And if they are, they're going to say, you need to cut me in and here's the terms. Yeah, I mean, that yes. yeah, is, yeah. you know, I remember having a conversation with a guy who, who were negotiating him out of a position that he was with the company that I was, I was running and, you know, to save a whole bunch of details. One of the things that just pissed me right off was when he's <laughs> negotiating his package out as a board member, he says to me, well, you know him and you know how he introduced you to this guy here. Well, you know, he's my guy. And I was like, mm, yeah, I know that. Like, <laughs> yeah. are you f- always, always strings attached. <laughs> are you kidding me? Like you're connecting it that, that way. And that's how you're, you know, where's just the let's help. You know, like, yeah, so, oh, I hear you. Yeah. That's a trick. That's it. That's a That's a tricky one. And I've even, I've had a few guests on that even talked about Calgary being a little bit more like what you just, just implied versus Edmonton, which is like, Hey, I'll help you. And I don't need anything in return. Okay. Where sometimes I've heard that Calgary is a bit of a, yeah, I'll help you, but Hey, well, like what, what's in it for me? Kind of mindset on a very loose. I've been, I've been probing a little bit asking guests because you know, I'm uh, growing up in Montreal. I had the Montreal versus Toronto thing and I moved mm-hmm. here and I inherited the Calgary versus Edmonton, but I'm like, right. what's really, what's really behind the scenes like what's really the differences so i've had a few guests say that recently and i'm probably going to get a few kegelins sending me some hate mail but that's okay that means they're listening and they listen for 25 minutes <laughs> yeah, to get yeah. to, to get to the gritty the gritty bits yeah, good. but uh, that that inclusive of like we're here to help and you know uh, <laughs> almost for the karma out of it not necessarily the like put my num- put my name on the contract and give me a give me two points kind of thing yeah yeah that's it. That's but it it, may, it makes it makes a difference of our ability to. And right now, it feels like we need everybody. Like I've said before, to 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 raise us up because we are a little bit back on our heels right yeah, now. Absolutely, we're we're on our back foot, right? <laughs> we take yeah, de- we de- we def- we definitely are. And and the and the blows are still coming in. Like we haven't we haven't got out of the corner just quite yet. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, well, uh, in there comes opportunity. So I think that's the only way to move forward from it. Yes. No. And I thank you so much for bringing your perspective on the show and just like, you know, this, this can be finance is funny. It's a very hard focused thing, but yet there's a lot of philosophical talk around it in terms of, you know, what we believe about it, what we think, how, how we approach it, just understanding kind of where, where money is moving and, and, and why. And it's the fuel, you know, I think you said it earlier, like it's the, you're building your company. Uh, you said something that it really sat with me, like that term sheet you might be signing might be your death warrant two years from now. So mm-hmm. that man, t- take that seriously. Like there, you know, what you don't know can kill you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you see it and sometimes you see, you know, somebody's put 10 or 15 years into their business and mm. it's their retirement. And, you know, five years ago they signed uh, some form of, of note or some form of equity agreement and they're high and dry. There's nothing you can do. And so it's, it's, yeah, yeah it's just, it's it, finance can be a very um, underappreciated uh, aspect of, of, of how important it, the role plays in a company. Well, and I imagine depending your state at the time of how much you quote unquote need it or what you're willing to say yes to and, yep. you know, back to the emotional side of being human. So I guess when you work with people, is it just about surrounding every one of those deals with this, the right professionals with the different perspectives? Like, I, that's always been, you know, those that advice you get as a young business owner of like, have a good lawyer, have a good account, like at the most basic level, I found it to be universally true. And the more 
that the more you grow and the more interactions you get involved with the key and is it just making damn sure you've got the right people at the table? That seems like an obvious question. <laughs> well, it is. And I mean, but it's actually backed by evidence. And I mean, this is when you look at companies that have a really robust governance program. Mm, okay. Um, and I mean, a governance program tends to be a board of, a, uh, a board of directors for public companies, but for private companies, it can be a board of advisors and it can be trusted entrepreneurs early on or trusted mentors. And I mean, just because, you know, one accountant's opinion, they might be really, they might be a great accountant, but they're seeing it from their perspective. And I think you do need to get a multiple, you know, multiple kind of takes on it so that you can ask better questions. Uh, and yeah, I mean, but it does come down to it. It it absolutely, you need a good lawyer, you need a good, uh, accountant and, and, but I would argue, you know, go and get other opinions beyond just theirs. So you can help drill them with, with better questions. Well, I, I, I hugely resonate with your, you know, multiple perspectives and different perspectives. We all see the world through our eyes and we're right because that's our perspective and everything we've learned. Even when you're getting that story right. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that work in that startup space and the entrepreneur, or the idea people that stay in their basement for too long and don't get out there and show it to potential customers, understand if it, if it is indeed solving a problem and being okay to get those perspectives that might misalign with what they thought was right. And whether that's in a, like a tiny startup right up to, you know, we're going to launch a new product that's going to take the market by storm, but yet you never went out and found out if anybody needed that product or cared about the solution you're offering. You need more perspectives and it's so easy to overlook. We get wrapped up in our, we, we believe our own stories. We're very good at it. Yeah. And you know, another thing that I think is, I mean, this can be comparable to digital marketing. How many campaigns with clear motive have you gone out, launched, and they're like absolute hit number one? Well, I would like to say every single one, Corey. Obviously, thank you for asking. But <laughs> well, <laughs> no, every single every single one, we weren't as right as we thought we were, and there was opportunities to learn, which is why I love digital because you can pivot pretty quickly. So, absolutely, and, and I'd pivot. say every time. The only time you don't learn is when you stop paying attention. Yeah, well, there you go, and and you pivot and you do multiple iterations with that, and you keep on taking those inputs. The the absolute same thing applies to the narrative and finance to even down to the term sheet, which you're, you're, you're working on uh, a guest that I had on the podcast <clears throat> from a, a mid market private equity firm basically explained that, you know, those looking for investment need to come in with a clear ask, but also be willing to adapt to potentially adjusting the terms that fit within the, the, the check writers, um, uh, portfolio, if you are, or within their strategy. And so in doing that, there is, there's some give and take there, but it's an iterative approach. It's a negotiation. I mean, you're in, in a way, almost digital marketing when you're, this might be a stretch, but you're, you're negotiating with the market through the ads and the campaigns you're putting out there to find what's going to resonate with the, the audience you want to speak to. So I love that you just called that a negotiation. I've never heard it put that way. Actually. I, yeah, I, and sometimes, just like in your world, sometimes working with a client to help them understand that, well, you're the professional, so you're going to get it right at the first time. It's like, no, we're going to take our best our, our best try mm. on everything that we know. But a day from now, we're going to know more than we knew yesterday. Like It's impossible not to. So we're negotiating with the market to find the best fit that's going to resonate and provide value. I love calling it a negotiation, actually. I'm gonna, I, I, that, I will steal that and use it sometime today. I hope that's okay. Nice, I'll, man. I'll, give you, I'll give you credit. I'll Please, a TM to uh, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Do you want a piece? Of, are you looking for your one point off that? What's Anyways, I'll get some paperwork. <laughs> no, my man, that's not my MO. 
<laughs> right on. I've I, I've gathered I, I gathered that. No, that's it's an, it's an interesting concept. And going in, and I'm sure that's something you do when you work with your clients of almost coaching them of like this is a negotiation. We've got to be fluid and be a not again fixed versus flexible mindsets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so again, it always it always comes back to human behavior at the end of the day, right? It's all, all the paperwork and logistical items, it still is a bunch of humans coming together to agree on to agree on something, hopefully a better future. No, it just reminded me of something. Somebody put it that that we're just a bunch of moist computers. <laughs> Ooh. Like, you know, it's like a terrible <laughs> there, there, there's, there's something very visceral about that statement. I, I use the word moist. <laughs> you know, moist and mushy computers that like yep. these humans i mean what it's it is kind of it is a funny thing to think about that um <laughs> there's no right answer and we're all human to it so yes and and there and therein lies the journey and therein lies the opportunity for all of us to add value at different at different places and and to constantly reserve the right to know more tomorrow than i than i believed i knew today <laughs> mm. I, I heard one the other day and I, you and I were joking about Beastie Boys off, offline and I was watching the Beastie Boys movie kind of talks about their history and one of the lines in the movie because someone was calling them out for some of their past lyrics were a bit misogynistic and they were 20. Like I'm going to cut them some slack. One guy said, you know what? I'd rather be looked at as a hypocrite than the same person forever. Just stuck <laughs> with me as, the, as just a great one-liner to like, well, didn't you think this before? I'm like, yeah, but I got new information so I changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, good on them. Huh. So yeah, no, I, I love that one. I've been anytime you can quote the Beastie Boys on a podcast, I figure I'm in, I'm in, I'm in good standing. Yeah, well. go for it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, Corey, I really appreciate one your willingness to just like I love candor and just to talk about it. And you know, it's a world that you live in, which I think can feel foreign to a lot of people peering in from the outside, no matter where you at in different stages. You know, like you said, you could build your business for 15 years, then all of a sudden you need to go into this world of financing for growth, and it can, it can be challenging. And I've talked to you, I've, I've signed a lot of CEO and leadership groups, and this conversation, like you got 12 people in the room and someone brings an issue, usually one of them is an issue related to financing. It, it, it is everywhere and it is a it is a backbone of business. And I still like as I've as I've matured in business and learned, there's a lot of unknowns and no one really has it figured out. And uh, having people on the way to support like yourself and give a different way to approach it, I think is critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well it's uh you know I have to say man it's been a pleasure to be on here. I think this is a great, very enjoyable conversation. Thanks. Yes, a good old-fashioned chat. That's my. That's yeah. my. That's my goal. If I can, if I can accomplish that, that's my first KPI down for 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 the episode. Well, hey, what's the? What's you've got the Insider's Guide to Finance. Uh, some great episodes. I've delved into a little bit. I, I, I don't know if I'm committed. I might go back and start at number one and see how it see it's good on the, get on the journey. Yeah. But great, great podcast. I recommend anybody to check it out. How else? If someone's curious, what's the best way to get a hold of you, Corey? Uh, so Corey at Creative Return, C O R Y at CreativeReturn.ca. Uh, email me directly. And then, you know, without acting, you know, taking too much of a shameless plug here, I really, I do encourage people to, to listen to the episodes on the podcast and even email me and ask me and say, Hey, listen, I'm having this problem. And I've sent back basically like, you know, here's your prescription. I know we spoke with these three people. They're going to speak to that problem for you. And it really, it, um, that's the point of the podcast is, is, is getting these perspectives about how to properly finance companies. And so they can be uh, valuable to those people in those positions. And, and um, yeah, I'd be more than willing to share that kind of information because uh, yeah, it um, you can unwillingly break your company and you don't even know it. 
Yeah, no, I, I've heard that. I heard your statement loud and clear. You know, you could be signing something that is your, you know, the landmine the two, year, two years down the yeah. road and having the right advisors to the table. So no, that's it. It's been a great conversation. It's super easy to talk to. I appreciate your knowledge and your perspective, both of the, the hard realities, but also a little bit of the philosophy on it. You can't, it's hard to, it's hard to have one without the other because we're humans and it's a, it's a mushy experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Corey, thanks so much for your time today. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you. For sure, Tyler. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye.